Exegesis. Hello and welcome to Countdown to Exegesis, your listen-along Steely Dan podventure. I, as ever, am Andrew Souter, and I am joined, as ever, by the regional semi-finalist 2004 as Best Walter Becker Sound-Alike at the Steely Dan Tribute Convention at the New Hampton Arts Centre in Wolverhampton, and co-editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's Dr. Oliver Pipes Piper. Hello, Andrew. Hello. And today is an exciting episode because we have reached the terminus of our the first leg of our Dan Odyssey. We are concluding series one by looking at the final track on Can't Buy a Thrill from 1972. We're talking today about Turn That Heartbeat Over Again. Oli. Turn that heartbeat over again. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, we've talked before about how we can't use actual uh, examples of Dan's music. So that's the closest you're going to get this episode. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How are you, Ollie? Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, I, I think this is going to be um, a little bit of a monster mm-hmm. of an episode. Some kind um, of monster. Some kind of Metallica mm-hmm. documentary. Some kind of Metallica reference. Yeah. I... Um, yeah, this this song is uh is a is so unique and convoluted and has so many inroads and backroads that I I do think we're going to need a little longer to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, ooh, it's a it's a doozy. Well, yeah. Without wishing to jump ahead to the final segment where we designate the song either a slam or a scam, I love this song. Yeah, me too. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Episode cut. <laughs> End by. Um, I, uh, I, yeah. So, I mean, um, not to suggest we should be brief, but perhaps we should dive straight into our first segment and ask one another in a contrived way what we are imbibing. Yeah. So, what are you drinking, Andrew Souter? Well, I thought, as it's the season finale, I would make an effort. The song contains the following lines. My poison's name, you know my brand, so please make mine a double, Sam. So then I thought, well, maybe, as the lyric is, my poison's name, you know my brand, I could do a sort of call... I could do do a callback to all the times this series where I've drank Doombar. And I was going to say, my poison's name, you know my brand, so please make mine a double, Sam, and then reveal that I had two bottles of Doombar. Right? However, this brilliant oh this brilliant plan was scuppered when I went to the uh the cost cutter and the package store. The, uh, nice. Again, not wishing to jump ahead, but I learned what a package store was from this lyric. Me too. Um so I went to the package store, went to my usual spot, ferreted out my usual spot where I get my doom bars, and they were all gone. And they say, are you going to buy something, sir? You've been here for 40 minutes. <laughs> the other customers are complaining. Yeah. You're making everyone uncomfortable, including us. Yeah, and then I, I mumble something about uh, for a podcast. Especially <laughs> so for a podcast. So in the end, I got um, a Timothy Taylor bolt maker. Oh, back to old Tim. Back to old Tim. Um, He's appeared before. He has appeared but, before. But I was just annoyed because... I feel... <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I feel uh, for people who are... For listeners who are not familiar with Steely Dan, 
mm-hmm. and who are not familiar with British ales, there may be some confusion about like who <laughs> is a performing member of Steely Dan, yeah, and who is a kind of Victorian ale maker. <laughs> yeah, so Timothy Taylor, the bolt maker. Is a bold. That's not. It's a bold yeah, that, and multi-ale. That sounds like a like a like a nickname for a guitarist as well. Right? <laughs> it, it does. You've yeah. got the skunk, the bolt maker. Yeah, yeah. Denny Diaz out the back. Yeah, and guess uh, seriously, this isn't scrubbing a jo- Walter's car. This isn't. <laughs> this isn't a joke. I genuinely have for pudding. So after I've had my bolt maker, I've got a beer, a lovely Cornish beer called Wolf Rock. No. Oh. Dear. It's a ruby ale. It's delicious, but it also sounds like a member of um, Van Halen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Again, it's, uh, I I know very little of our stateside friends, but to me, that sounds like it just could be someone's name in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, like a like a Fox News anchor called Wolf. Like, yeah, yeah. Wolf. Yeah, Wolf Rock. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Timothy Taylor is. An old man, an old man who's dead, who who is now on the front of various bottles of ale, and Denny Diaz, Walter Becker, Jeff Skunk Baxter—they're all mm-hmm. Steely Dan members. Yeah. Although Skunk Baxter could be an ale if you take the Jeff out of it. Well, so as we've also mentioned, I'm I'm as well as self mythologizing, I'm also trying to get some breweries to sponsor the podcast just by mentioning them all the time. Mm-hmm. So potentially. In three, four years' time, we could be getting free crates of Doombar from Sharp's Brewery, but also be blueprinting our own Countdown to Exegesis Ale called the Skunk Baxter. That is a great idea. Yeah. So we should talk about song facts, but before we get into... Talking about the song mm-hmm. and its facts, I want to bring up a little meta fact, if you will. Mm-hmm. Obviously, our podcast is called Countdown to Exegesis, and our stock and trade is deep readings of Steely Dan songs, or attempted deep readings mm. of Steely Dan songs. The depth is debatable, yeah. but you know that's, that's our kind of meat and chips, as it were. Um, Donald Fagan, mm. in a 2000 interview, said this, about people who try to try to make sense of the lyrics, okay. try to like exegize mm-hmm. the lyrics. Um, you have to take the words and the music together as a whole, as a conception. You can't make an exegesis <gasps> of the lyrics as if it was a poem or novel, because when put together with the music, there's a deeper or unexpected irony that emerges. Wow. <laughs> Donald Fagan used the word exegesis once. That's surprising, isn't it? That is surprising. Not because of, and, of any uh, judgment on his vocabulary, but it is an unusual word. Yeah, so nice bit of serendipity. But also, we, that is like that is like the stamp of disapproval for Mister Fagan himself mm. for for the very concept of our podcast. Yeah, yeah, and which makes me feel weirdly proud. Same. Yeah, yeah, and also. Um, We've already established that he would dislike us personally. Oh, yeah. So he would dislike us personally. By virtue of us existing. (laughs) Yeah, just... (laughs) Yeah. I love the idea. Because you're the Dan fan, I love, love, love the idea of you and Fagin having dinner. And 
because I, I have a, I have a feeling that you would try and balance fawning praise with self-deprecation and easy charm, and I think it I think it would be really really funny to watch. It would be horrible. Mm. I can't imagine anything worse. Uh, <laughs> you know, a dream dream dinner party guests. Yeah, Donald Donald Fagan is is on a whole different list entirely. <laughs> yeah, you've never heard. You know when people play that game. You know who's on your dream dinner party list? Nobody ever says mm. Donald Fagan, do they? <laughs> <laughs> that's never, that's never happened. And yet, if you heard his comedy album, he can be a a funny man. Fair. Mm. I was just going to say that um, Fagan was quoted as saying that when he was at college with Walter Becker, that was the last time he had any friends. Right? Oh, yeah. That's horrible. Yeah, it is sad, isn't it? But maybe that doesn't mean that he didn't have a lot of sex. You know what I mean? I've seen. I, I saw an interview with him, like a fairly recent one on YouTube, where the presenter, it's like him and the presenter at a piano. Mm. I can't remember who it is, but they're playing. So George Holland. Together. Oh God, do not mention his name in my presence. Um, <laughs> the presenter asked him rather crassly, like, "Oh, you know, did you, did you get a lot of chicks? <laughs> yeah. Did you have a lot of sex?" And Don was kind of like, well, a bit, <laughs> a bit. He's <laughs> like, like, the roadies got all the sex. Like, yeah. you know, we were, we were just creaking our knees in the bus and writing songs, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. say that. But, uh, well, there yeah, you go. No, so, so, okay, what we've, we've reached the conclusion that Donald Fagan probably had moderate sex. <laughs> yeah, but no friends. <laughs> oh, sorry, Don. Yeah, oh, we're being we're being awful. Um, He's very rich. It's okay. He's extremely rich and successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm desperate to tell you about this song. Yeah, although please I, do. I, I have very little to say. <laughs> Actually, one thing, but one thing I did want to note was. I've mentioned the Brooklyn Charmers once or twice, who are like the premier cover band on YouTube, Steely Dan, mm-hmm. and they always come up because I do a YouTube search and I look for I look for stuff in the course of research. And I noticed in there, I noticed today and only today, or when I did the research, that they have song facts in in their videos. So mm. in the description of their videos, they say song facts and they even like mush the words together in the same way that we do song facts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to state for the record and on the advice of my attorney, yeah. this similarity is entirely unintentional. Yeah. Any crossover of facts previously stated yeah. is a total coincidence. Mm-hmm. However, now I know that they're there. Um, I've raided them shamelessly for this song and will continue to do so for the for the, the existence of this podcast. Mm-hmm. So just just to just yeah, just if you're listening, Brooklyn Charmers, I didn't know you did it. Mm-hmm. So I haven't stolen any facts up until this point, and now I'm going to steal them all. <laughs> okay, hit me with some song <laughs> some stolen song facts. Um this is possibly the only song where Walter Becker takes a lead, at least on at least in recorded Dan. And when I say take a lead, I mean he sings a song, he sings a line unaccompanied. So I was wondering this. So it uh, the so in the first verse, is it the fourth line? So it goes with Ooh. stocking face. I bought a gun. The plan was set. The plan was done. 
uh, looked at my watch and something for the door. And then the voice pans and it goes, and the food here ain't so good no more. Is that Walter Becker? Well, this is what the Brooklyn Chalmers say. Yeah, it says it's exactly that line. Mm-hmm. That's the line that I had written down as as the uh, as as the Becker line. So good ears. Thanks. You you can spot a Becker from a mile off, can't you? Mm, I just got massive deja vu when you said that. We've done this ten <laughs> times now. Yeah, but I don't think you said you could spot a Becker a mile off. Well, you know. The, if if yeah. we fed our if we fed our podcast into an AI, it would spit that out. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, this song was never performed live by any iteration of Steely Dan. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we uh, next fact we've often talked about the Dino. Uh-huh. Um, to briefly sum up, the Dino is is Walt and Don's big book of good songs, which they hardly ended up using any of when they actually formed the band. And that they ultimately kind of compromised to make their music more accessible or found a way to kind of make their music both palatable and, um, yeah, whatever. But um, in, in this 1972 interview, so very early on, mm. they said that this song, along with Fire in the Hole, um, was closest to their earlier, weirder stuff. So the kind of, the kind of unheard stuff from the dino mm. that didn't make it to album. They're saying this song is closest to that kind of stuff. I thought you might find that interesting. It's, 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 it's a bit of a little mysterious tidbit there. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Because like as you've already made clear, you like this song, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unlike Fire in the Hole. Yeah. Well, a- another quote from a 1973 interview. This is with Denny Diaz, the lovely guitarist Denny Diaz, who doesn't make missiles. Um, <laughs> so Denny Diaz said. I guess I am a perfectionist, but Can't Buy a Thrill is the worst album we'll ever make. Mm -hmm. Some of the songs on the album were written years ago, and I think the older stuff tended to be stronger. I think Donald and Walter wrote the other numbers, the more commercial stuff, to get the record companies interested. Mm -hmm. I've always felt the writing was better on the more sophisticated numbers, like Turn That Heartbeat and Fire in the Hole. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the bone of tone of the next album. Right. Sorry. Does that he, fill your heart with joy? He said that in 1972. In 1973. 1973. That, that... So they, they would have been writing or recording uh, Countdown to Ecstasy, album two, at mm-hmm. that point. Does, does that fill your heart with hope? It absolutely does. And the, the whole... Basically, this song, the, this song's very existence fills my heart, my little heart, with anticipation and excitement because kind of this echoes what you've just been relaying which is that all the other songs that I like on this album are absolute slam dunks, and I love them. Like Reading mm. in the Ears, Dirty Work, and Only a Fool. But mm. they are straight-ahead slams. You know what I mean? There's interesting corners to them, but they're kind of like FM radio-friendly yeah. hits. Yeah. Whereas this is both very uh, catchy and satisfying, and also very twisty and turny and slippery and weird with enticing lyrics and an unusual structure. So it feels like the first song, it's the last song of the album, but it's the first one that sounds to me like very distinctive. Mm-hmm. So if this is a, a, you know, a taste of things to come, I am genuinely looking forward to Countdown to Ecstasy. 
I think I, I don't think they ever quite did a song like this oh, again. For but fuck's I think sake. That, I, I think there's something in that. I think there's something in what what Diaz said. The bone of tone. I love that phrase, by the way. The bone of tone of the mm-hmm. next album. I think. I think. I mean, spoiler for count um to countdown to ecstasy, but we are like um we are wrapping up for this series. But I do so. I do think countdown to ecstasy has less hits but more depth. Mm-hmm. And it's it feels like it feels like in a way, turn that heartbeat was a portent of that. Yeah, um, that happening. Um, and also Steely Dan do sometimes get weird on their last song. That that is a bit of a repeating theme mm. as well. One day these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. <clears throat> Shall we talk vibe? Let's talk vibe. And for those who are unfamiliar with the vibe, the vibe is a short summation, or if you're Andrew Souter, uh, a, a small excerpt from a musical about Steely Dan um, on occasion. Uh, but it should be a short sentence or two summation of just how the song, you know, it could be an analogy, just how it makes you feel, just the vibe, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and do you want to kick us off, Andrew, with your vibe? So I. Uh... You know they say those who fail to prepare prepare to fail. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Pre- I didn't prepare. Um, I did prepare some thoughts about this song, but not specifically about the vibe. Well, that's fine. I so, have. Um, I have on occasion, and I don't know if you've noticed, not done a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I just assumed that all your vibes were just plucked out of your your mouth no, hole. Oh God, no! I, I agonise. Do you? Okay, well. The vibe of this song for me is Fagan and Becker. They're sat at the piano in the um, common room at Annandale College. Mm-hmm. Okay. All the other kids are smoking dope, talking about Vietnam and sort of rubbing each other's breasts. Um, mm-hmm. Fagan and Becker, they're hunched over the piano, right? They've been there for hours. They're just sort of wreathed in cigarette smoke. They're both wearing suits, even though they're, you know, young. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're they're trying to bash out this song. Okay. And it's got a nice hook to it. But they're like, you know what? You know what, Walt? Or you know what, Don? When you turn on the radio, all you hear is these fucking songs where it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus. Okay. Let's blow that out of the water. Let's push the form. Okay. Let's get outside of that box. Right, <laughs> and that's what they do. And in the that corner, us, yeah, che- Chevy Chase pipes up, <laughs> yeah, and goes, "Cool idea, guys, dig it." Yeah, let's form a band. Meanwhile, Jeff, did. Jeff Scott Baxter is pacing up and down his room, humming "Ride of the Valkyries." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't go to Bard College. Chevy Chase did go to Bard College. Oh, that's a good that fact. That wasn't just. That wasn't just a pull out of nowhere. They were in a band. He played he played drums for an early band of Beckham and Fagan. Really? Is that have I not brought out this? Dan no, fact that's a, that's, that's an like amazing band fact. One hundred and one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there you go. What was the band called? Oh God, what was it called? Um, oh, I'm gonna have to find this out because was it I, called? I um, remember it being. <clears throat> was it called Danimal House? He referred. Okay, Je- Chevy Chase referred to it as a bad jazz band. Oh, the Leather Canary. <laughs> That sounds like a gay club. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, they were they were pals and they played music together. Yeah, good. So, in summary, the vibe for me is um, two guys with an ear for a hook, and they're trying to expand the form and play around with structure. Good. And and just for future reference, that is that's what we want the vibe to be. Just, I mean, it, it, it took us. We probably cut this down, but it took us about twenty minutes of like waxing about a, a skunk Baxter biopic, veering into just outright vitriol against skunk Baxter, um, several diversions along the way, and we finally got there. Yeah. J- just just for contrast, I'll give you my, I'll give you my vibe. Yeah. Steely Dan, the musical. <laughs> that is so much more concise. Hmm. Um, Not as good though. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's 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 uh, it's tickled my fancy. So, I do you it, mean do you mean that the, the 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 lyrics are sort of okay? So, one thing I thought when listening to this was that when people talk about Steely Dan and Steely Dan lyrics, they always conjure up this demi mond of sleazy criminals and prostitutes and drug people in crease suits and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff, right? And we haven't actually had very much of that on Can't Buy a Thrill. No, nor the um, nor the kind of like cryptic references which they're apparently so known for, Which, but this does have a bit of that. Mm. Oh. Um, but, uh, no, it, well, mostly it's just that it, it's kind of... It has the ebb and flow of a of a kind of a, a, a musical piece. The way they trade off vocals and again get into music here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to me, it's like Becker and Fagin could have written a decent musical. They could have rivaled what are they called from ABBA? They wrote some musicals, you know, or 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 what's his name? Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Andrew Troll Weather Face. Mm. He could. They could have done it based on this song. There could have been a Steely Dan the musical. Written by Becker and Fagan. So let's talk music. Section section two of three. Five music lyrics. Um, music. How to how to pick apart the music for turn that heartbeat over again. The liner notes mm-hmm. describe it as rhapsodic, which I think is somewhat on the money. This is the kind of song where if you have a if you have a soft spot for sort of Byzantine songwriting <laughs> structures, then yeah. you'll love it. If you if that sort of thing makes you cringe, then you're gonna absolutely fucking hate this song. But it's only Byzantine in the sense that the 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 form of it is unusual. Because there's like two verses uh, as in there's f- four sections to each go round, if you see what I mean. And two of them both sound like verses but are different and consecutive. And then there are two sections, both of which sound like choruses, but which are consecutive. You know what I mean? Byzantine, to me, does not suggest really catchy. Yeah. Whereas this song is very, very catchy, apart from that weird yeah, middle is. section. And even no, that, like, I've, I've hummed along to it. It's 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 like, it is Yacht Rock does prog, which, you know, yeah. doesn't... 
although there's crossover between those two quote unquote genres, mm. it's you know it, it doesn't happen quite so spectacularly mm. as as on this song. And yeah, let's let's not try and skirt around the fact we both think this song is brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So in the break, you compared this to 80s UK sophisti-pop band mm-hmm. Prefab Sprout specifically their first album Swoon and just to go deep with the obscure references do you want to elaborate on that a little bit yeah so when I the first time I heard this song I texted you and I said I hope that Prefab Sprout dedicated the whole of Swoon to this song which was an overstatement, certainly. But what I meant by that was that it is like rhythmically tight and it's got loads of hooks, but it's constantly taking left turns. Mm-hmm. So one thing we were talking about before was how that really, really catchy and cool bit where he goes, look at my watch. <laughs> and started for the door. In another band's hands, that would become a repeated motif. You know, yeah, yeah. So that line would be repeated like four times, mm-hmm. and that would be like a, a serial hook. Whereas in mm-hmm. this song, it happens once, and then suddenly Walter Becker is singing the line in a different stereo ear. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like that thing of kind of giving you the hooks, but then snatching them away from you as soon as you start to feel comfortable. Which I think Prefab Sprout did a lot in their early days. Yeah, and, and the, I can't and the other what we've sorry, go on, go on. No, I was just gonna say the other re- the other thing that made me think of early prefab sprout was the quasi biblical vibe to the lyrics, um, mm-hmm. because in the what we're we gonna call it in the in the second chorus chorus yeah. B of this song, yeah. you know, oh Michael, oh Jesus, you know I'm not to blame. For some reason, really, really put me in mind of Paddy Macaloon of prefab sprout singing about Stella Marta and um, uh, what's that other bit? Uh, Hair of gold and sweet Mary. You know, there's these like little Catholic references dropped here and there. In a, I mean, in, in I a, really in a want to tell you way. off. I really want to tell you off because you're veering into lyric territory. And as oh. I and our listeners know, lyric territory is section three mm-hmm. and we're in section two, which is music. So I'll, I'll let you have that. Okay. Forgive me, Father. I really you thought have. I really thought you were going to pull me up on the fact that I'd got I'd said something was Catholic and it was actually Anabaptist <laughs> or something. Well, actually, as a failing <laughs> Catholic myself, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So here's so here's a thought related to that. Um, what I think this does, and I don't disagree with your prefab sprout thing. But I'll, I'll I'll elaborate on that in a minute. But what what I think this does have in common with prefab sprout mm-hmm. is that. This song only works, I think, because it's played with huge amounts of restraint. Like, they just, this song just kind of sails, it goes through all these parts, but it just kind of sails through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it, and it stops short of being bombastic. The, if you, if you took this song to any band, and, you know, we're in bands, we know how this works. <laughs> if you took the song to a band, the temptation would be like, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna crank up to this bit. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna kind of we're gonna ramp up and we're gonna start playing loud or whatever or you know this. It it doesn't do any of that. It will it gets its um, 
of course there's like dynamic peaks and troughs but it 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 kind of it doesn't do anything so crass as to like introduce <laughs> perceptible distortion yeah <laughs> you you know it just kind of goes it just kind of goes all the effects of this song is that we're playing it extremely capably and we're really tight with the changes yeah and like it's just we uh, and we can basically do anything we want with it and we can throw in a new key and have everyone trading off lines like some weird like west side story um <laughs> yeah starring yeah it's it's funny isn't it imagining it as a musical where mm. fagan does the first three lines and then just the spotlight falls on walter becker and he goes <laughs> now the food here ain't so good no more and then the spotlight then falls on david palmer and they sing together and they close the package store <laughs> you know yeah, that's i well, can that's see it. it yeah before you basically kind of like Vis- like audibly petered out in response to my suggestion that this was still done the musical. Now, you, now, now I'm embracing it. it. Yeah. I'm, I'm embracing it. Yeah, yeah. It's guys and dolls. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. I, I'm saying yeah, literally because you're supporting me and my claims. But I've got no idea what guys and dolls is like, or West Side Story for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've I've been thinking this is for some reason this has been reminding me of Todd Rundgren. This is what I replied to you when you were like, "This is basically prefab sprout." Uh, sorry, um, just to interrupt. I did not say in that tone. Well, no, it was <laughs> text, so you know you can read your own tone into it. But it was like, "Wow, this song's great," but uh, I think prefab sprout probably heard it and loved it. Which Quite is no possibly. no bad reflection on the song. Well, to go back to Rundgren, I don't think I think Prefuss Sprout is a better comparison than Rundgren because Rundgren was always about like production wizardry more than like left turn mm. songwriting. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason it puts me in mind of Todd Rundgren is something to do with like I guess you'd call it like knowing pomposity. Mm-hmm. Like this song sounds clever and it sounds like it knows it's clever. Yeah, well and that-, that kind of makes it forgivable versus something like versus something like Emerson Lake and Palmer or something like this where it is it is just kind of velvet velvet sheathed pompousness made mm. flesh yeah 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 but it's it, it 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 does feel smart as a song you know what i mean i think it skirts you can hear the line the, you can between hear the... smart and pompous with with grace and i think it I, mm-hmm. and i think it does it very well yeah but again, I I can't remember what we what has been off mic and what's been on mic this episode. So I will I may be repeating myself here, but I think this song um, is what we would call in the UK a Marmite song. Yeah. Um, which is based on a UK advertising campaign they had, where it was like you love it or you hate it, or just on the fact do you that wanna, Marmite. Do you, do you want to describe to the international <laughs> listeners what Marmite is? <laughs> uh, yeah, I realised I'd opened that Pandora's. <laughs> yeah. Jar, yeah. Um, you'd uh, you'd is... unscrewed the yellow lid, yeah, on Pandora's of, uh, jar. Yeah, Marmite is is a gloopy <laughs> substance, a gloopy jet black substance that is that you are designed to eat. <laughs> and God, it looks God like graced tar. us to eat Marmite. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, is 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 Marmite jet black? I think, well, or is it if brown? You held it up to light. It would shine brown, but well, yeah. I normally, you know, it, I normally eat it in a, in a lighted room. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you don't shine a light through it as if you're checking an egg. <laughs> well, yeah, it doesn't go off, does it? 
really. Yeah. So in in the jar, it looks jet black like tar. You spread it. You spread it very thinly on toast. No, very thickly with, on toast. Don't be don't be so crass. You, you <laughs> spread it spread it thinly on toast with lashings of butter. It's salty as fuck. It tastes it tastes awful to anyone who didn't grow up with it, but to mm. those who grew up with it. It's beautiful. Like it sounds me and Suter here. Yeah. Um, it is an amazing thing. I have um, it every day. But the point and, of what I'm saying is well, that can I, some can people, I, some can I please kind of 50% points? of people like it, 50% of people hate it. That's what I'm saying about this song. And you, yeah. I'm just going to just gonna get that point out and then we can have the more of a detour about Marmite. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> so go ahead. Wanted... I just wanted to make sure that fit, that thought was finished and now let's talk Marmite. Okay, so it's a Marmite song because, yeah, half the people love it, half the people hate it. If if you are genetically inclined towards being impressed and, like, yeah, by, by this kind of songwriting, mm-hmm. like you're going to love it, yeah. You're going to love it. If it makes you think they're too clever by half and, um, and you find it basically annoying, you're going to hate this song. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure our listenership will be divided. Anyway, sorry, you wanted to talk about Marmite? Well, there's just two thing, two quick things. <laughs> One is that Marmite is a great source of vitamin B12, uh, which can, I believe, reduce the chance of reduce the risks of heart disease and strokes. So get that Marmite down, yeah. Spread it on your tongue every morning. You are really aiming high for sponsorships now, aren't you? Oh, first I, it was I mean, local breweries, and now it's the Marmite, big Marmite. <laughs> I, Big Mama. Yeah, Big Mama. <laughs> I love Marmite. I just want to say this. Okay, I, lo- I am beginning to like Steely Dan, but I love, I love Marmite. And, and you know, it's a, it's, it's a daily occurrence in my life. I have Marmite every single morning. Well, Steely Dan the is second a big, thing... powerful... Not Steely Dan. Marmite is a big, powerful <laughs> umami flavour. And, yeah, like like... Marmite, like olives, like several things of you know anchovies, yeah, Sev- miso, several things of that ilk. You, as your palate develops with age, mm-hmm. many many children hate olives and learn to love them. Yeah, same goes for Steely Dan. <laughs> I'm glad your palate is warming up to Steely Dan. It is. Mm. It, it's it's being um, prinked and and poked. Um, Delighted. The middle section. So we have we have verse A, verse B, chorus A, chorus B, new riff. Do 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 do. Then we have verse A two, verse B two, <laughs> chorus A two, chorus B two. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Then, then we have like this. Not sort sure of... anyone else is, but <laughs> then we have like this sort of bespoke through composed middle section. Yeah, which is essentially a guitar solo, but. Nothing, none of the harmonic material like jumps out as coming from the verses or the choruses. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It feels like a whole new fish, right? And my one reservation about this excellent song is that as a meandering through composed middle section, it doesn't actually enhance the rest of the song. So, like, it's kind of like what is the function of a bridge? I would say the function of a bridge is like when the chorus comes back in, it's even better and more exciting because mm-hmm. you've, you've taken a you've taken a side turn into the, into bridge land and then you come back to the chorus and you're refreshed and excited and the chorus sounds fucking amazing. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Whereas yeah. here we have this like quite interesting and as you said, very restrained instrumental section. There's no blazing skunk solo. You know, because this album as a whole, the solos tend to be pretty like show-stopping and limelight-hogging. Yeah. Here, it's like more of a composed thing. But then when it all starts up again and we have the verses and the choruses, it doesn't feel like they've been uh, given any new momentum or any fresh lease of life by that middle section. It just kind of feels like it happens and it's quite cool. And then it stops and we go back to the song. Yeah, you were you were painting this image of the young college age Becker and Fagan mm-hmm. hunched around the piano, away away from their compatriots, mm. breaking the boundaries of songwriting mm-hmm. in their own small way. Yeah, and now it sounds like you're pissing on them for the exactly the same thing. No, I'm saying you know, that who, I... who cares <laughs> if it doesn't have a purpose? Maybe its purpose is to be interesting. Yeah. But if it was a, a, a truly excellent five-star slam dunkathon, then everything about it would work really well rather than be interesting. I think what is, I think what is really interesting about that section, mm-hmm. just I feel I can feel the I can feel myself getting more and more boring with every word, but let, let me just try and get this out. <laughs> yeah, what I find it's interesting just, about struggle. this section is a, an unpromising uh, remark. <laughs> Is that if I if I was writing this section <laughs> and as composers ourselves, yeah. one I do think what I do think the temptation <laughs> is to kind of is to kind of try and make it interesting with like you might bring in another instrument to double the melody or play a harmony or just to kind of come in and do something different. Yeah. This is just a fairly basic guitar sound playing a melody yeah and nothing about the central melodic sound the guitar changes at all it, that is just the complete melodic through line for for the whole thing the only thing that changes is is the backing track quite considerably mm. but i think you know the the temptation would be to make it like symphonic and bring in like bring in other other kind of harmonic elements yeah on top of the melody which never happens mm um, I I I really like that. Like I I can't really explain why it, it feels a bit ballsy in a really restrained way. Yeah. To again getting back to the kind of it just kind of it just kind of goes along. Um, but I I wouldn't disagree with any of what you've just said, except that it feels like an isolated section. It doesn't feel like development, you know. So you've basically got the the song itself is verse A. <laughs> Verse B, chorus A, chorus B. That repeats twice. Then you've got this instrumental bit. Then it just does the same thing again. Yeah. Only by uh, this no, po- only by only by this point, it's like, okay, where are we going, boys? And so they tag on this, yeah, sort of chorale thing right at the end and some wind chimes. It feels a little bit like they've sort of um, painted themselves into a very sophisticated corner. I will. I will bring. I had a song fact which I actually rejected, mm-hmm. but I'll bring it up now. Basically, you would love the uh, eight-track version then of this song, where mm-hmm. because of peculiarities of the eight-track format, where every side basically has to be the same length. 
yeah. because of auto reverse. You don't want like a two minute gap if side one's two minutes shorter than side two. It was often the case that they would artificially lengthen songs to make the okay. time up. So if side two is slightly shorter, as in this case, they would make the side up so that it would reverse play and you get straight back into side one, right? They do that on this song, on the eight track version, by basically taking the solo from start to finish and playing it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you'd really love that. Yeah. Well, I, I don't mean, get, me wrong, get I, really annoyed. I, I like the solo. I like it. And I like the restraint because even though the, the three tunes on this album that I, aside from this one that I really, really like, even though they all have barnstorming solos, uh-huh. I do find it an annoying tendency on this album, taken as a whole, to do these. Yeah, it's like the spotlight falling on the musician and they do a killing solo. Yeah. Which is a bit guitar magazine for my liking you know whereas this is the antithesis of that this is as you say it is a, a fairly plain guitar tone there are no real frills <clears throat> it's just doing this quite uh sort of um i'm trying to avoid using the word meandering because it sounds critical um exploratory uh melody it's not even expl- it's not exploratory because it's all pre-planned it's extremely yeah. like it's extremely measured fun <laughs> isn't it yeah but this song is fun i would say yeah, yeah. which I, ne- I never thought i would i never thought i would say that i thought a steely dance song was fun but well it's, it's a fun no. fun song <laughs> the other thing that jumped out at me about this song um was that it's the first time that I've like consciously noticed Becker's bass playing. So you know the love your mother, love your brother bit? Mm-hmm. His bass playing on that is so good. It sounds really, really solid, but it really like pushes the song along and, and makes it like lively. I don't think um, I noticed the bass in my uh, listening. I noticed the bass in the last track, um, Change of the Guard, because mm-hmm. it was so uninspired. Right, right. Well, maybe, this, yeah, yeah. In this song, it's part and parcel of a of a very interesting backing track. So I don't yeah. think it jumped out of me specifically, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure I would agree if I listened to the bass properly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it is only one element in the arrangement because there's also this really lovely bit where there's like slightly Nile Rodgersy guitar chords going on in one ear and in the other ear there's a I think a Wurlitzer maybe or some kind of organ and they just gel like really really beautifully um but it's just it's just that I haven't noticed any bass playing on this album and Walter yeah. Becker is like 50% of Steely Dan right he's he's a really important part of it and this is the first time that he's like jumped out as a essential component or I think they rarely highlight bass beyond kind of thinking it as uh, it needs to be like a very very solid foundation along with drums but yeah it, 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 I, it, I, I, yeah i can't think of a i can't think of many steely dance songs where you go oh great bass line yeah yeah you know um, well and i didn't think great bass line in the same way that i would if i was listening to chic but it, mm-hmm. it's just that it really like enhanced it like lifted that section mm-hmm. uh, and i was like Hats off, Becker. Great. One point on the chalkboard for Walter Becker. Yeah. 
That was me clapping, not wanking. Now that we've talked about the music, uh, let's have a dive into the lyrics. I feel that this is one of the few songs on this album that appears to be telling a story, but the story is a little bit opaque and difficult to pass. And I was wondering, Ollie, could you just like give us a rundown on what you think the song... What is the story that the song is telling? Yeah, I think this is a good way to approach it because this is... Yeah, it's a, it feels like a story song, but it's also it's also the Dan getting kind of cryptic and mm. allegorical, like they're so famous for doing, but we haven't heard an awful lot of on this album. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, this song um, it starts with the lyric: "With stocking face, I bought a gun. The plan was set. The plan was done. Looked at my watch." And started for the door. Now, what seems to be happening is we have some kind of criminal. Mm-hmm. He's he's got his plan set. He's uh, he, he's he's all ready to go. The time comes for him to commit the deed. Mm-hmm. And then, what the deed is, and what exactly happens, is never quite covered in the rest yeah. of the song. The yeah. rest of the song is him kind of looking back at a life of presumed crime, kind of implied drug use and other mm. things, and also a kind of crisis of faith. Is it a crisis of faith? Whatever. He has some kind of crisis, um, Yeah, which is him saying, Oh, Michael. Oh, Jesus. You know I'm not to blame. He's. You can imagine him sitting around. Imagine him like on his knees praying. Kind of going, I, yeah. you know, I didn't want my life to turn out this way. Now, whether that is a, that could be one of several things. He could be, um, he could be having a moral crisis. Mm-hmm. Has something? Has has he suddenly had a change of heart, and he's pleading, "Oh, Michael, oh Jesus, this is not the life I wanted." Yeah, is he having uh, a cri- uh, Yeah, is he having a crisis of faith? Um, has has something happened? Has something gone awry? And he's found himself in a tough spot and he's pleading to his long forgotten gods. Yeah. For some sort of reprieve. Is he in fact dead or dying? Mm-hmm. And he's and he's having an encon- encounter with the Archangel Michael. Right, yeah. So he's on the on the just outside the pearly gates and he's well, saying it's I think it's no? Peter who is who is popularly popularly oh, right? I didn't go to Sunday school. Stop <laughs> well ragging okay, on so, me for my lack of well, no, knowledge. No, 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 no. I'm not ragging. But Michael is presuming he's talking about Archangel Michael. Michael is yeah. in Catholic law considered to be basically like the angel of death. Michael ah, carries okay. M- Michael carries souls to heaven, um, and he also gives souls uh, a kind of last chance at redemption. Right before passing into the next world. So, right. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but then that. So it could be that when he says, "Oh Michael, oh Jesus, I'll keep my promise." When you turn that heartbeat over again, what he means is, I will live a a true life. Yeah. If you, so if you allow me another chance, if you so turn think, that heartbeat over again, yeah. I think that's the vibe. So that could mean. 
That's turn exciting. that heartbeat over again could mean let me continue living, or it could mean like let me just start this life again. Yeah, send me back to the womb, and I'll I'll be good next time. Like, I think that's I think that's basically the crux of what's happening oh, here, Ollie. It all makes sense. <laughs> no, it all however, makes sense. there's a lot of details within that. <laughs> yeah, like what's exactly happened? Yeah, is he dead? Is he not dead? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it, there's 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 a lot of stuff which is kind of yeah unknowns. But I think that uh, that's how that's my reading of the song in general. Is that like yeah, he's he's pleading with he's pleading with the uh, saints. Yeah, for uh, for another chance. I'm so into it. Honestly, that is like. Uh... Because I was, I was into the lyrics. Eh? That was a fucking. <laughs> that was that was quite the exegesis. I mean, uh, that was that was about the driest I've been since episode one. And I've in... never felt more excited. That was so. <laughs> that was. I genuinely felt like I was on the edge of my seat as you were revealing that. Uh, I'm not being sarcastic. Uh, that was genuinely very interesting. I think the 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 central ambiguity is, as you say, what was the deed in verse one, and did he carry it out? Because it goes so with stocking face. I bought a gun. The plan was set. The plan was done. So does that mean that the plan was carried out, or does it mean that the or, or the plan was done for? The plan was sealed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or or, yeah, or, or okay. like the plan was planned, <laughs> but then yeah. when it came to be carried out. It wasn't. They didn't achieve fruition. And then he just starts talking about the quality of the local. Well, food no. So I. So and... so then he says, looked at my watch and started for the door. So that could be. He looks at his watch and it's twelve thirty, which is the time he's going to do the crime. And he starts for the door of wherever he's going to stick these people up. Mm-hmm. Or it's he goes into the package store or wherever or the bank or wherever he's doing this thing. And he looks at his watch nervously and starts for the door and heads out because he bottles yeah. it. So it's like either, so the lyrics could mean either I did the crime and I, and now the food here ain't so good no more. Or I failed at my plan and now the food here ain't so good no more. So it's like whether the, whether the, the deed was committed or not committed, he's been fucked by it. So you, oh, the food here ain't so good no more because he's in well, prison. That's, so I, Try. I listened to this song and I thought I'm gonna not look up the lyrics. I'm just gonna listen to this song like four or five times and try and piece together what I think the lyric is about. And there were some big stumbling blocks. Like I had no idea what he was saying when he sang "Cry a Jag on Me." I just had no idea what that that line was. But my big takeaway was like, okay, some guy has either committed a crime or not committed a crime. <laughs> but either way, either way, he is now in prison. Because okay. the food here ain't so good no more, but if but then when I when I did look up the lyrics, I thought maybe not because the food here ain't so good no more suggests that something in his immediate circumstances has changed. Like you wouldn't say if so, if you got sent to prison, you would say now the food here ain't so good. You wouldn't say it's ain't so good no more so, unless the prison caterer had changed. You know. So I'll I'll give you my reading of that okay. of those lines. Okay. As well, which is I took that to mean like almost a, a almost a almost a justification for the crime he's about to commit, right? So he's kind of oh. saying, "Oh, now the food here ain't so good no more," and they close the package store. This, this neighborhood has, this gone, place to has gone to yeah, the pits. Yeah. yeah, like, um, and, and then you know a, a lot of the rest of the lyrics, which we may or may not get onto, but a lot of the rest of the lyrics are kind of are kind of 
he's trying to paint himself as like the good criminal mm. you know like that trope of like the good criminal he he loves his mama loves his brother loves until they run for cover yeah that's like, not like that love them that's not much. that good though is it but also uh you know my reputation for playing a good clean game it's that it's that trope of the kind of like he's a criminal but he plays by the unwritten rules of crime yeah. you know he he's not good by conventional standards but he has his own moral code like and i feel like this uh, for me that line is kind of is kind of going i'm about to do this but it's because circumstances have made me do this because this once, yeah. like this once flourishing neighborhood, has has brought me to my knees. You see, I w- that again. I felt quite excited when you said that, and I think you should become an English lecturer. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna say that because I'm I'm all a quiver at this conversation. But however, I think that would be more plausible if it was a different melody and harmony because when it cuts to the line now the food here ain't so good no more it feels like a change of perspective because as as because well, it's different i think a different person is so it's, it, it's, it? that's that's we, we think line. it's becca but also it like the vocal pans so when you listen on headphones yeah. you can hear that that voice is coming from a different place and so it feels yeah, yeah, like yeah. in in steely down the musical which you described this song as it would be like a scene shift so we've had the guy with the tights over his face and he's holding up a gun and then he either shoots somebody or runs away. We don't know which. And then suddenly we're now elsewhere and the food here ain't so good no more and they close the package store. Cause w- so are we, dealing with a, are we dealing with a gang of miscreants here? Why do you say that? Well, because, well, just for change of voice. Right. Well, potentially because the pre-chorus... Love your mama. Love your brother. Love them till they run for cover. Or chorus A, as I like to think think of it, <laughs> is sung in uh, as like a CSNY harmony, isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. It, they suddenly all the chorus comes yeah. in and and the the stage lights up and the dancers trail across. Yeah, yeah. And oh, is that Donnie and Marie Osmond in the <laughs> yeah. over there? Who are these can canning yeah. girls? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's confusing because so the so when when you hear it for the first time or when you're trying to make sense of it as a lyric, love your mama, love your brother, love them till they run for cover. That then feels like a sardonic authorial comment on what we've just heard. So it feels like the verse is a is telling the story of this criminal, right? And something's mm-hmm. happened. We don't know exactly what, but we've been given a situation, and now it's like the Greek chorus. Is is commenting on that, saying "Love your mama, love your brother, love them till they run for cover," like they're saying that's the attitude of this guy, that he's faithful to family ties until the shit hits the fan. You know what I mean? Okay. It is how I took it. See, I but, had but, a but, completely but, different reading of that. Right. Song. So, but the, but <laughs> but the thing, is, the reason that that doesn't fully hold water for me is because then it goes, "Turn the light off, keep your shirt on." Cry a jag on me. So it sounds like we still are in his voice. It's just that his voice is now being um, harmonised. Do you want to do you want to explain what cry a jag on is? Cry a jag on me. So yeah, I had to Google it. It means to me cry copiously or have like a crying fit. Yeah, but it, to cry a jag on me means kind of like you can let it all out for me. Like just like come cry cry a jag on me. Mm. Just, just like I'll be your sounding board for your sorrow. Yeah, which is a kind of incongruous with the rest of the lyric. 
Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, also, who's it? Who's it? It's very twisty. Who's it addressed to? So is he saying? Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> it's twisty as all twist. It's like an eel farm. Yeah. yeah. So the the, the line, a, an explosion <laughs> in a slinky factory. God. Yeah. <laughs> so I t- so I took it to mean something like, man plans crime. Whatever the outcome of the crime was, he fucked it, right? He's maybe in prison, maybe he's not, but he's in reduced circumstances, okay? Now he is commenting sardonically about his, the, the, the kind of beliefs that have underwritten his life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I get lost at turn the light off, keep your shirt on, cry a jag on me. Because I don't know whether... So, so cry a jag on me could be sincere or insincere. It could be saying, pity me because I have led this this pitiful life and I need pity from Michael and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or it could be delivered with the Fagan sneer. And it means like, don't pity me. I'm a ruthless, hardened Pulp Fiction character. You know what I mean? It could be it could be either of those things, but the line that I just can't—I don't even have any sort of uh, suspicions about—is turn the light off, keep your shirt on. So, what do you think that means? Well, now you've mentioned um, now you've mentioned possibility of prison. Mm. I'm imagining this guy talking to his cellmate, and his cellmate's giving him a his cellmate's giving him a like a a sub story mm. about stuff, and this guy is this guy is basically going. Yeah, yeah. You miss your mom. You miss your brother. Like they'll 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 do a runner at some point. Mm-hmm. Like li- listen, like turn the light off. Want to go to sleep? Keep your shirt on. <laughs> Give yeah, up. Cry, cry. <laughs> but now you're just reciting There's the no, lyrics. No, no implication. Yeah, uh, I know. Why, but why, like, why saying, is he saying like, keep like, your calm, shirt on? Like it's just well, you know, it's just an expression to me. Like calm down, isn't it? Ah, like, keep your shirt on. Really? Keep um, your yeah. Keep your shirt on. So he's he's going if he's, if he's read sarcastically to a cellmate, he could be going, "All right, you give me this sub story, like, like it's yeah. all the same." Cry a jag on me, you know, as in cry, you know, like, cry a jag up. on me, yeah. like sarcastically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All you did was try and stick up a package store, potentially. <laughs> we don't know. That's what the crime but then was. We have, yeah. but then the next verse is the same guy pleading, presumably, uh, you know, uh, as earnestly as he can mm. with uh, with Michael. And Jesus Christ. So. Yeah. Who knows? But it's lovely because it, it it's it's kind of like it's seeing the character from different angles. Do you see what I mean? As in he 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 seems both brave and cowardly in the first verse. Yeah. And then he see then that that first chorus bit could be um it could be like a dressing down, like a sardonic dressing down, mm. or it could be a genuine expression of like pity leading into the next chorus which is asking for forgiveness and absolution and whatnot very cool so so yeah i mean i don't have faith in any of our reading apart from maybe the um the uh the the overall kind of gist yeah. of like man does bad thing bad thing happens back and yes but what i will say is that um i don't think the song delivers on the bit we've spoken about so i think the, the the verse two and verse three are less interesting than verse one i don't know whether you agree so i don't know whether we... you agree with that but it seems like all this stuff is set up all these plates are spinning and then they don't really know what to do with it 
So should we pick apart those verses yeah. a little bit? Because to anyone but Becker and Fagin, I think I think they are confusing in their own right. Mm. So so verse two. My poison's name, you know my brand. So please make mine a double, Sam. Stir it up nice. I'll eat it right here. Yeah, this highway runs from Paraguay, and I've just come all the way. Now, this seems to be suggestive of drugs or vice in general. Yeah. Um, do you agree? Well, I assumed it was conjuring up like a sort of film noir scene, like Casablanca, you know, with um, Sam the Barman, played by Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. I can just imagine somebody in that film saying, make mine a double, Sam. Yeah, but then, then, but then, it, 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 that is a Casablanca reference. Oh, is it? Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah. But the but the the thing yeah. that makes me think potentially it's about drugs, like narcotic drugs rather than booze, is the I'll eat it right here because you don't eat a yeah you don't eat whiskey and also Paraguay <laughs> sounds potentially like a cocaine reference. So okay, so here's the thing. So this might be going a bit deep, mm. but my poison's name. Do you know my brand? So heroin was originally a brand name. Well, the word heroin. Yeah. What was it? As in the 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 drug went to market. Oh. For general sale under the name under the name heroin. When was this? As a as a painkiller. We're talking like early nineteen hundreds. Right. So is that a potentially very in the know little reference there? I mean, lots of jazz musicians were heroin addicts, right? Or there were famous cases like Charlie Parker, mm-hmm. who I learned today is a favourite of Donald Fagan. So I can imagine them existing in that jazz world and being really obsessed with jazz. And so also being at least conscious of heroin, even if they weren't users themselves. Okay, so what do you think what what do you think the highway is? Do you, do you think it's like a Silk Road style yeah, drug I just route. assumed it was drug drug route. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. And do you think that this verse is taking place? Where is it taking place chronologically? I don't know that that is. I, I didn't really place it anywhere within our narrative. Mm. I, I kind of I kind of see the rest of this song as being a um, like post verse one, which describes an action yeah. as being all in the mind and all in kind of flashback it's all vibe hazy dream world as yeah all vibe it's all in mm-hmm. the mind of the man mm-hmm. or the woman who's committed this act and um uh, and and yeah it, it, i guess i guess i'm like i guess i'm stuck on the interpretation that this is the kind of life flashes before eyes moment yeah um and he gets he gets these images come into his head it's it... in quick succession which are, which don't really kind of which don't really make any sense except to just describe a, a, a general life of crime and vice and enjoy yeah. it. Um, yeah, but so many questions, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've I've enjoyed I've enjoyed pondering them, but I think I think the general thought so you can draw a line under this song with the word Dunno, really. Yeah. Dunno. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it suits it. It does, and it's really, really catchy. His ham-fisted exegesis in last month's Vanity Fair made me cringe. So, does that bring us on to... 
the uh, the judgment. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Okay. We judge the songs on a scientific criteria. It's either a royal slam, meaning good, or a royal scam, meaning bad. So, um, if you want to go first, I'll leave the floor to you. It's not going to be a surprise to anyone for either of us, but give your verdict. It is a. It's it's beyond a royal slam because I said that um, a few other songs on this album were royal slams. And what I meant by that was they were very satisfying nuggets. You know, really, really good songs, but kind of within a template, like a recognisable template. Whereas this song, I I stand by my little word painting of Becker and Fagan hunched over the piano, sort of pushing themselves to fuck with the form. And so it feels really unusual and kind of like expectation defying in a way that the other songs aren't. So it's I would say it's a it's a like brilliant song, and more importantly, um, the other songs on the album that I've enjoyed haven't really made me hopeful for the rest of the Steely Dan discography, because Ollie, you've described them as like outliers, mm-hmm. you know, like there's no other dirty work in the Steely Dan canon. It's just a standalone thing. Whereas here, I feel this is like last song on the album. It is a signpost, maybe towards the ghost of Dan Future. And that's yeah. quite exciting. So I would say it's like a, a, a godly slam. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, I absolutely, I, I love it. High high praise. Excellent. Mm. Well, um, no, glad to hear it. And and yeah, I, I think it's a... I think it's a slam. Um, this song gets forgotten about, I think. Mm. Um, it's it's a bit of a buried number. Yeah. It, seems, it seems not many people talk about it. I think it's a real standout. Um, in in this on this album and in the catalog in general, but as I said before, you know I think I think you and I are inclined towards songs like this, yeah, more so than true. some other people. Um, you know we 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 we'll, we'll forgive some twisty twisties in the songwriting state. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, no slams all round. So now we're at the end of the series. It might be good to go over our slams and scams and see kind of where we ended up and whether we still feel the same way. Um, yeah, I I think I think roughly speaking, you probably gave about sixty percent scam. Yeah, and forty percent slam maybe for this album. Would that be, does mm. that feel about right? About right, yeah, yeah. So, is there any is there anything now that you've had a whole album worth of Dan mm. deliver, drip fed to you? <laughs> yeah, over slowly the past three months. Yeah, is is is, yeah. is there anything that you've changed your mind on? So there's there's a couple. So the first, so epi- very first episode, we did do it again, and I think that I was. So I still don't like it very much. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to put it on while I'm washing up or whatever. Like, I don't think it's a great song. It's not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But I said it was a scam. But the reasons that I gave for designating it a scam were pure projection. So it was basically, I had decided that Steely Dan were slick and soulless and cosmetic and all these other words. And then I heard that song and I was like, yeah, look at these pristine fuckers. You know, and and basically 
piled all of those words on on top of that song whereas actually i think compared to other songs on this album it's not it's not a scam i would say it's a soft slam okay great but but i don't really like it but i don't think it's i think i was unduly harsh because i was just like letting my preconceptions color it yeah well you know you just you just stepped into the world of dan it can be a scary place absolutely i was being pinned against the ropes by Muhammad Oli over here. <laughs> by the gentle um, Latin groove of doing it. <laughs> Just yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the other one I would like to revise is Change of the Guard. Last week, uh, I said that Change of the Guard was a slam. And I think the reasons that I gave for for saying it was a slam were that it had kind of held my interest Mm-hmm. Like it's, I thought it was a bit of a shallow number, but I was intrigued because yeah. it was kind of like a Motown song sung by Fagin, and you know I wasn't quite sure what the tone of the lyric was, and that sort of held my interest. But I think if I'm going to call Kings a scam and Midnight Cruiser a scam, then Change of the Guard is definitely a smelly scam. You know what I mean? It's like the, okay. the fact that because Kings was really interesting. But ultimately, I don't like it. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. So, yeah. so you haven't so actually, would... you haven't, you haven't redressed the balance of that sixty forty slam scam scam slam split. But mm. you've you've changed your opinions on certain numbers as you've warmed to the Dan, as the Dan has warmed you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah as I've held my frigid hands to their <laughs> brazier. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, but um, but I would say that the, the 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 things that I like totally stand by are that Kings and Midnight Cruiser are are bad. I would say Fire in the Hole is kind is like or is teetering on goodness, but it, it doesn't get there. And Dirty Work, Rin the Ears, Only a Fool, and Turn That Heartbeat Over Again are like absolute hammers. Great. So and I would say that's enough. That's enough for an album. To be good, yeah, I think I, yeah. I think it's I think it's uh, this album gets a lot of retrospective praise, but in my opinion, it's one of the most uneven Dan albums of the original run, anyway. Yeah. Um, and I've only given two outright scams for this, so mm. you can see where it's going with my. You may as well not ask me from series two onwards. More or well, less. can you can you remind us? Can you remind <laughs> the folks at home what what were your two scams? So my two scams were Midnight Cruiser. Mm-hmm. Which, um, which I just think is, is is an objectively bad song, and wow, change of the guard, which is which is just kind of I think Ben put it in a in in a way maybe off record where he said this is uniquely shallow <laughs> for a Steely Dan song. <laughs> yeah, I think he said uniquely depthless. Yeah, which yeah, I yeah, liked. Yeah, um, yeah. So so yeah, um, two two outright scams, a few teetering. Um, fire in yeah. the hole and King's Teeter for me, yeah. um, but otherwise fairly solid slams. And actually, like this album, rarely features in my sort of Steely Dan listening, my casual mm. Steely Dan listening. But revisiting it for this has has, has kind of revealed some of its treasures to me again. Mm. So that was quite good, um, quite good experience. So, so can we? Um... I've grown. Hype, <laughs> good. Ollie Piper is dead. Oh, okay. Sorry. Right. Picture it. 
Okay, Ollie Piper is dead. We're enjoying it. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. And we gather around. this on a Tuesday evening. <laughs> well, well, we're all, that's where we're all heading. It's not yeah, unique thanks. to you. Yeah, no, carry on. It's not yeah. like I said, Ollie Piper gets a bad appraisal at his work. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't specific to you. <laughs> we're all going to die. Look, you're dead, right? Okay. And we're in some future world where you have like a, a, a headstone that has a montage of your life playing permanently on a loop okay like a video right. yeah okay yeah well yeah like maybe or, or, or it's just sort of selected scenes from your life so it's you as a little boy with a bucket and spade uh-huh. and then you your first day at school and whatever you know yeah, yeah. and obviously uh your virtual headstone is going to be soundtracked by steely dan i think there's, there's no question about that yeah okay some with maybe yeah, a couple portions. of a couple, a couple of Obman's box songs thrown in there but essentially it's going to be steely down very good <laughs> would any songs from can't buy a thrill make the ollie piper virtual headstone mega mix no 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 i mean that's, had I, had, that's a very <laughs> like that's a very creepy <laughs> way of basically saying would this make your top 10 steely dan playlist <laughs> Fright, like worryingly <laughs> creepy, morbid way of of asking that question. Well, but the thing is, if I'd said, "Would this album make the Ollie Piper Virtual Headstone Mega Mix without all that preamble?" It wouldn't have made any sense at yeah, all. Yeah, but I don't think the Virtual Headstone needs to come into it. But in any case, that's that's okay. water under the 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 headstone. I think <laughs> I, I, no, no, none of these no. songs would would match the quality of the absolute jazz bangers that are to come okay so you wouldn't have like a little sequence in the in the life montage where it's like you as a you as a young man dancing dancing at a party you know and then only a fool would say that is is like soundtracking that moment from your life well what party have i ever been to where they're playing only a fool would say that unless i'm in a room on my own because i've escaped the crowd (laughs) and i'm listening i'm dancing to steely dan in a in a bedroom And you're just clutching your headphones over your ears, trying to block out the the laughter from the other room. That may have happened. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One day, these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. Okay, Okay. the The big question, question. the burning question on everyone's lips. The the Mm -hmm. listeners are on the edge of their seats if they haven't outright left their seats already. Hours ago, are yeah. <laughs> are you a Steely Dan fan? After one album, can you call yourself a Dan fan man? The truth of the matter is, I'm not a Steely Dan fan. <sighs> so, if I was chatting to somebody, like if I met you for the first time, and you were like. I love Steely Dan. Have you heard them? I would say, oh yeah, I heard this, the, the first album, Can't Buy a Thrill. Yeah, I heard it over a three-month period. And <laughs> ultimately, although it's got some some absolute royal slams on it, I, d- I don't think it's a great album. And they'd have so many um, questions. Why Why? Why did you listen to it slowly over a three-month period? Why, why are you referencing... Why do you say you've only heard one album, but you're referencing a later album in your appraisal of it? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And then I'd say something like, yeah, but that turned that heartbeat over again. That song is gaucho. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it would it would be confusing. So I, I will happily I will happily say that I there are songs by Studio Dan that I, I love. Like I would use that word. And I would say that I'm really intrigued to hear more. Great. Like genu- genuinely excited to hear more. And I'm annoyed that I've committed to this podcast format because it means I can't just listen to Countdown to Ecstasy. <laughs> I have to wait till we've edited this fucking series and then <laughs> sit down with track one on Countdown to Ecstasy and have to make some notes. And You know, it's very unnatural, but um, it is, you know, I am genuinely looking forward to that. Anyway. Because like, so for instance, because uh, since doing this podcast with you, Steely Dan is everywhere. I just keep seeing references to Steely Dan. Mm. And one thing I've discovered is that a friend of a friend who I know relatively well is a big Steely Dan fan, and his favorite album's Gaucho. Now, if I'm fully committed to this podcast format, I'm going to listen to Gaucho in like 2030. Yeah, but you know, to be if you jump straight to Gaucho now, yeah, you'd have a jazz attack. Mm. You couldn't deal with it. I think you underestimate me. It's so far. No, it's so far. You, you need to ease into the Dan. Mm-hmm. You need to clutch for Dan by the love handles, and yeah. just, just, just go in slowly. And 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 yeah, the, it's a perfect. It, the perfect point from this point on is countdown to ecstasy. So okay, well, this is a much less burning question, but has your has anything changed in your appreciation of Dan through doing this series? I think what I think I've never given the lyrics this unnatural level of scrutiny. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, mm. So that's been the big, uh, the big exegesis for me mm-hmm. is is really focusing in on the lyrics, and I'm excited about focusing in on some better lyrics as yeah. we move forward. Um, I think it will be good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I still love the Dan. I appreciate yep. the Dan a little more. Than I did before. Good, good. Of so course. it's just a love that deepens. Yeah, genuinely. Yeah. Once you're in, you're in. Yeah, and and you know you'll you'll be in you'll be in the hole with the rest of us before long. Mm. Can't wait, listeners. Join us then. See you in however long it takes to record series two. Yeah. For countdown to exegesis. To play us out of our first series, we have. I'll describe it as a surprise, but it, we've been talking it up the whole time. We're going to have mm-hmm. Andrew Souter playing us out with a song from the album. So we can have quiet in the audience, please. We'll have we have Mr. William William Rogers, <clears throat> Andrew Souter, playing a bossa version of "Only a Fool Would Say That."
Falando sobre mundo onde tudo é livre Não pode ser só um bobo, diria O homem na rua, ficando na tua Não quero ouvir má notícias Imagine seu rosto em lugar do outro Dentro de seus caçados Trabalha seu lugar E se arrasta pra seu lar Ali na tela Um homem com sonhos Ouvi que foi você Falando sobre mundo onde tudo é livre Não pode ser Sou um bobo, diria Tem vingança em seus olhos Não é sentido E é mais jovem do que imagina Sou um bobo, diria Sou um Você falando sobre mundo onde tudo é livre, não pode ser só um bobo, diria só um bobo.